it was like every like risk mischaracterization you could come up with of just like falling asleep and just falling over all the time. And I'd say for like most people with narcolepsy, that's probably nowhere near how they experience it. That was Shannon talking about the common portrayals of narcolepsy. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, we'll learn what narcolepsy is and how it's different than just feeling sleepy all the time. Shannon will explain how and why she got diagnosed and the surprising preferred way to manage her sleep attacks. Shannon will share her experiences working with narcolepsy and share a few simple things that a business can do to support a narcoleptic employee. Remember, Shannon and I are two people talking about our personal experiences living with a mental illness. If you're managing a mental illness and something you hear inspires you to change your treatment plan, before you do, please consult with a trained care provider. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work. So I have with me today, Shannon. Shannon, welcome to Silent Superheroes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Shannon, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Shannon, and currently uh, my, I'm a co-founder and in the role of COO at a tech company. I've been doing that for about eight years. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my background is in software development. I worked in defense contracting, and then I was at Apple for a bit, um, and then went on to start a company with my now husband and his best friend. So why don't you tell us, what are we going to be talking about today? I'm under the impression that we're going to be talking about narcolepsy. Okay, awesome. Um, So I take from that that you have narcolepsy? I do. If you know, what's the rough rate that narcolepsy occurs? I used to know that number, but I, I do know that whatever they report, they think that narcolepsy is hugely underdiagnosed. I am actually going to look that up because I think it's kind of interesting for the discussion. The answer is one in 2,000 people, apparently. Really? 0.05% of the population. That's more common than I would have guessed. What What is the rate of bipolar? So bipolar affects about 5.7 million American adults, which is about 2.6% of the U.S. population of people 18 and older. So bipolar is 50 times more common than narcolepsy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what narcolepsy is? You have narcolepsy when I believe your body has an autoimmune response, which attacks part of your brain, which controls the awake asleep function of Mm -hmm. your brain and kind of damages it going forward. It's actually the same exact portion of your brain that uh, is affected if you have epilepsy. People get narcolepsy at the same rate that people get epilepsy. If you think of storing up your sleep in like a bladder, like if you need to pee, having a very small sleep bladder. So you can sleep through the night, but, you know, maybe for only like a small portion of that, you're actually able to store up the beneficial sleep and then... 
during the day, you will get extremely tired. I mean, the way I, I experience it, I mean, probably at its worst, I would feel suddenly at like a certain time, like late morning, early afternoon, it would like, I mean, almost like immediately, it could feel like it's 5am and I haven't slept all night. Like just like a switch flips and all of a sudden you can't think you can do almost nothing to keep your eyes open. You get this like overwhelming urge to fall asleep and it's obviously for everybody who works at a very inconvenient, inappropriate time. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can imagine. Um, so in that situation, halfway through the afternoon, your proverbial sleep bladder is empty and needs to refill. Is that kind of the, the analogy? Exactly. The sensation that I was talking about where you like quickly feel like you need to go to sleep, it's called a sleep attack. Okay. And there's kind of nothing that you can do. I mean, I've fallen asleep standing up wow. or at least my brain like flips has flipped right. into the state of being like s- semi unconscious even though i didn't fall over <laughs> so yeah your brain functioned in that case well enough to keep you standing but not well enough to keep you i don't know what the right word is but like awake and aware maybe yeah like my, my body was there it's actually funny so there's that's happened where you just kind of almost go into like a dream like your brain like kind of shuts off and goes into like dream state But then you can also have this other thing called cataplexy, which I occasionally have, which is when, uh, so when, when you're sleeping and dreaming, your brain paralyzes your body to protect you from acting out some dream and hurting yourself while Mm -hmm. you're sleeping. Um, cataplexy is when your brain mistakenly flips that switch, but when you're wide awake and that's when you, that's the classic thing that people think of like people with narcolepsy just falling over. Um, that's cataplexy, which sometimes comes with narcolepsy, sometimes doesn't. And I think there's kind of like this whole range of having it in a way that's like more severe or barely having it or not having it at all and still having narcolepsy. I think I saw a documentary about narcolepsy many years ago. And I remember cataplexy and the person who was suffering from it would essentially be, they'd be in bed and they'd be dreaming but the cataplexy had kicked in, so they'd be having this kind of terrible nightmare, but be physically incapable of doing anything about it. And you're smiling. Yeah, I'm kind of like smiling, cringing. That's that's happened. Um, I'll, yeah, so one of the first really weird sleep disturbances, it's funny, Jesse's going to be embarrassed that I told this story, but um, <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night and rolled over and bit him on the shoulder like really hard. <laughs> and... <laughs> And he turns to me, he's like, why did you do that? And I looked at him and I said, oh, you know why I did that. <laughs> and then he, he said, no, I really don't know. And then I burst into tears and I was like, I don't know either. I don't know what just happened. If you're not taking medication, how often are you able to get a, a normal night's sleep? When I had Mackenzie, my daughter, um, there was some kind of brain chemistry change, something that happened, which actually reduce my symptoms significantly. I got really lucky. Apparently it's 30% of people or 33% of people have um, increased severity in narcolepsy. 33% don't change. 33% have an improvement in symptoms. And I got really lucky with that roll of the dice. I didn't even know it could stand a chance at changing anything. But so it's easier for me to sleep now. Previously I was on I was on a, a pretty intense medication that was like a liquid thing that you would drink and it basically just knocked you out. Before I went on to that, it was just really, really hard to sleep at night, which is the most frustrating thing when you're 
sleepy all day. You're having trouble functioning, staying awake at work, and then you can't sleep at night. Where like all you want to do is sleep all day, and all your brain can't do at night is sleep. It's almost completely inverted. Wow, I didn't realize that. That in addition to the difficulty during the day, it also did that. It made it hard to sleep at think, night as well. I think like insomnia is included one of the symptoms, but your body just thinks it could be the middle of the day. During the day, it could be the middle of the night. That's in some ways, that feels like a rough deal. It's like you have the like untitled day and suddenly I might fall asleep or suddenly I might be physically paralyzed. My cataplexy is really mild. I got super lucky in that. I think it's kind of a roll of the dice how, if and how you're going to have cataplexy with it. And mine's more just kind of like it just looks like I'm drunk for like a half of a second only if I think something is super funny. (laughs) The worst part is it usually only happens when I'm telling a joke because apparently I think I'm the funniest person in the world. Um, Just like really rarely. Or if I'm like concentrating really hard on something funny, like unlocking a door and I'm really tired. I feel I have to ask what's funny about unlocking a door and being tired. I honestly don't know. There's there's nothing funny about it. Nothing. <laughs> but uh, I mentioned that to uh, my my sleep doctor at Stanford, and he said, "Oh yeah, okay, that can that can happen too." But I didn't ask. I should have asked for more details. If you've spent time talking with other people with narcolepsy, have you heard about different triggers for people? Socially, I've only known one person. I fell asleep in the middle of a conversation with a friend sitting in a cafe and he said, well, I didn't know I was that boring. And I was like, Jason, no, (laughs) sorry. I actually have narcolepsy. Second you explained it to somebody, they're like, oh, oh, you didn't think I was just super boring. Um, (laughs) But I remember he said, oh, I've got a, I've got a friend who has narcolepsy. And eventually uh, we met, I think a few years later, they introduced us and but I don't think she had cataplexy. It's kind of like the, I guess the disease impacted us really differently. So, What did you learn from talking to that other person? What did, what did it feel like to talk to somebody else with narcolepsy? I was really excited. I was like, oh, you've got narcolepsy too. Let's, let's talk narcolepsy. Just because it's such a unique experience and it can feel pretty isolating. You, you don't meet many people who have it. And there are a lot of just uh, misconceptions about narcolepsy. Let's talk misconceptions. Oh, misconceptions. Yeah. Uh, well, I know there was a movie that came out like a decade ago where there's somebody with narcolepsy. I never actually saw it, but it was like every like gross mischaracterization you could come up with of just like falling asleep and just falling over all the time. And I'd say for like most people with narcolepsy, that's probably nowhere near um, how they experience it. I find that honestly that the biggest like the the biggest mischaracterization comes when people don't know that you have narcolepsy and they see you experiencing the symptoms and think very different things uh, or things that are very far from the truth. Uh, I mean, people see you tired at work and it seems like you're disconnected. You don't care about your job. You aren't able to, you know, get your life in order to take care of yourself, to not be sleepy at work. And one of the big things they say is like 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 free medication is like taking, you know, s- scheduled naps with narcolepsy. So like one or two like 15 to 20 minute naps a day can make an enormous difference. If you're having a sleep attack, you you know, well hopefully you get ahead of it and you take a short nap before you get to that point, but um 
a really short nap can make a giant difference. But if you see a coworker sleeping at work, you think some really negative things. I mean, not you, anybody. <laughs> right, yeah. Me, before I knew anything about narcolepsy, I would have thought like, what's the deal? Like, you know, were you out partying all night last night? You yeah. know, people think some pretty negative things that are all, um, that all go very strongly against your <laughs> benefit as far as your career your coworker's opinion about you taking your job seriously. Um, nothing good comes from people seeing you nap at work. And it's basically the most valuable thing you can do for yourself when you have narcolepsy. So that's narcolepsy, a rare neurological condition that disrupts sleep patterns leading to sleep attacks, the sudden need to sleep during the day, sleep hallucinations, and sometimes cataplexy, the sudden loss of muscle control. I live with bipolar and, while it isn't particularly common, I know several people who have it. Narcolepsy is a 1 in 2,000 person diagnosis. It must feel lonely managing narcolepsy and not having someone to talk to about it. But thankfully, that doesn't seem to bother Shannon. She just gets on with it. Now, We've all felt sleepy at work at different times in our life, and I wanted to hear how Shannon crossed the line from I feel sleepy a lot to I have narcolepsy. So talk about how you came to discover that you have narcolepsy. I was living in Denver at the time, and Jesse and I were dating. And I remember, I mean, I probably for two to three years, um, I had just been feeling like so tired kind of like the way you'd feel tired at work if you decided to stay up playing video games till three in the morning with no regard for caring for yourself. And then you get up for work. And I mean, I'd, I'd felt like I had been playing video games till 3 a.m. for about three years. And when in fact, when in fact, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I had gotten into the habit of going to bed at 9 p.m. and waking up at, I don't know, 8am or what, whenever I woke up for work and I, I was getting an enormous amount of sleep because I found that that was the only thing that would help a little bit. I think acknowledging that there was a problem came years after I was struggling at work because I was tired. I think there's, there's a certain level of being tired in the afternoon where it's like so many people, you know, you go get a cup of coffee in the afternoon because you're sleepy. People say things like that all the time and not really understanding the tiredness I was feeling was so different than the person next to me who's like, oh, I'm going to go grab a quick cup of coffee to wake up. I remember the moment where I decided I needed to go to a doctor. I was driving with Jesse and he wanted me to do, um, he had me holding his phone and, and telling him like navigating, looking at maps, whatever. Um, and he was waiting for me to tell him which turn to make. And I kept falling asleep in between telling him every single turn. And he was getting so frustrated with me. And he was like, what is going on? Like, this is really getting to be a problem. Why can't you stay awake? You know, if he's noticing this, like, I deal with this all the time. Like, this isn't normal. And it was soon after that that I got a doctor's appointment. They first, you know, you say you're sleepy all the time and they look for sleep apnea and they look for like all of these um, more basic like, problems with sleeping that are much more common. And so you go through nighttime sleep testing, which is, you know, and they test you for sleep apnea and restless leg syndrome and things like that. I made it through all of that. And then 
they said, okay, well, we're going to send you in for another sleep test. And I, it was a daytime one. And I was like, I don't know, but like today my job is to go and show up someplace and like nap all day. Like, cool, no problem, (laughs) (laughs) whatever. Um, I didn't really know what narcolepsy was and I didn't know much about it. Had never really thought about it. They didn't tell me that I was showing up for a test for narcolepsy. And I remember when he said, oh, you're here for the test for narcolepsy. And I almost bolted out of the office because I thought that if I was diagnosed with it, my license would be taken away. It'd be impossible to get health insurance. I kind of freaked out. I was thinking about that driving over here and I was like, wow, this is really cool that I've come from like being terrified of my health provider correctly diagnosing me to actually talking about it. So I want to ask more about the medications that you've used, that you've experimented with, and you mentioned there have been some side effects. So walk us through, help us understand narcolepsy medication. Narcolepsy medication. Uh, I I think, obviously I'm not a doctor, but my my experiences with it, um, New Vigil seems to be like the big gun that they've got, which it's a liquid that you, it tastes super salty and um, gross, but you kind of like measure this thing with a syringe, mix it with water. You need to be sitting in your bed to drink it. And within moments, you are basically like drugged to sleep, which is why it's a liquid, not a pill, which <laughs> New Vigil has created all kinds of situations that are quite comical, including me falling asleep, holding my iPad and dropping it on my face and like many, many times. I would love taking photos of me falling asleep in like my bed with like an iPad or a computer or something looking completely ridiculous. But on the more serious note, it's, um, it is, I'm, I'm not going to remember chemically exactly sure. what it is, but it's, um, I think one of the side effects is that they say it just makes you act strangely. Okay. Um, Helpful. Yeah. Oh, great. Everyone wants to act strangely. <laughs> great. Hook me up with some of that. Um, it does help you sleep very well and it reduces cataplexy which cataplexy wasn't really a problem for me, but it wasn't fun. And it definitely took care of that when I was on it. And I slept really well. So you you sleep for like four hours, you wake up to a timer, take another dose, sleep for another four hours. And you wake up feeling fantastic. Wow. Like almost like too fantastic. I just felt kind of like overly amped up. But the side effects were, I found that after I was on it for like five or six years, maybe a little more. Eventually, my body got used to it, but when I first started, I was really miserable, super miserable, um, and I ended up having to go on to, they added antidepressants on top of it. They said if I wanted to stay on to it, stay on it, I needed to have an antidepressant. It was making me um, really, really anxious. I think a doctor described it as akathisia, which is just like um, everything around you irritates you. Like, I mean, someone sitting next to me and eating something or anything just literally drove me nuts. And I was so anxious. I like, I didn't want to go walk down the street. I didn't go want to go walk two blocks to get some fresh air. We were living in Northern California. It was beautiful out all the time. I just didn't want people to see me. I just, I was kind of like crawling out of my skin. Yeah. That was the antidepressant doing that or the new vigil? That was the new vigil. New vigil. Got it. Okay. Um, and they added the antidepressant on top of that which it it took a long time for that to make a difference. But then it kind of mellowed things out a little bit. 
But um, so I was I was on New Vigil as well as or sorry I was on Zyram as well as New Vigil because the so I would take Zyram to sleep at night I would take New Vigil when I woke up which is like an upper like a more of like a slow release longer term upper and that would keep me alert and awake during the day and then you take Zyram to knock yourself out again at night and I felt very alert it took care of a lot of the daytime sleepiness, most of the daytime sleepiness, but left me with a whole other set of problems. Um, And then adding the antidepressant on top of it, I just wasn't very happy. (laughs) I think the antidepressant actually made me feel kind of depressed. I just kind of, when I finally went went off of Zyram, New Vigil, everything, I only went off of it um, when I was pregnant with Mackenzie or getting pregnant with Mackenzie. I went off of everything cold turkey and I remember one day just listening to music while I was working and I've always loved music. I mean, when I lived in Denver, I went to every single live show you could go to at this tiny place down the street. And um, I remember listening to music and thinking, I forgot I liked music, which was kind of deeply disturbing. (laughs) Like I hadn't really, I hadn't really enjoyed listening to music in half a decade and I'd forgotten that I mean things like that artistic things like music and I really get a lot out of and um just the cocktail of prescriptions I was on had really neutralized that where I wasn't as anxious anymore but I wasn't really enjoying myself either probably not a very nice wife either (laughs) I'm glad we got through that (laughs) just to back up for a second after Mackenzie was born, I went back onto only the new vigil, which is just something that's like an upper during the day, which has way more manageable side effects. Just for my brain and my body was not as big a deal. So after I had Mackenzie, when I went back onto only new vigil, I just felt like, oh my gosh, like my, my brain's back. It was the weirdest feeling. I mean, I just really like, I, I like lost all of my like intellectual self-confidence really turned me into a different person at work. And then I kind of got back, kind of got my brain back when my narcolepsy symptoms were reduced so much after having my daughter. I was going to ask about the cost of narcolepsy medication. Zyram is insanely expensive. But so I believe Apple with like the insurance there was paying $3,000 a month. They FedEx it to you and, um, yeah, I think they they have to overnight it because it's like a liquid that has to not be exposed to heat or cold or whatever. And, and um, a controlled substance as well. And it's a highly controlled substance, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's like a lot of like rigmarole. I think you have to sign directly for it, which kind of introduces problems for anybody who has a job or is away from their house or whatever. Um, so that's really expensive. But then when we... Um, when we started our own company and got our own health insurance, this is conveniently around the time that Obamacare started. So I was able to get insurance. Then (laughs) I was kind of like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like I know that they paid so much for it when I was at Apple, but then it turns out if your insurance isn't covering it, they give you what's called the coupon. Okay. And then you pay $20 a month for it. Oh, so they basically the, (laughs) I'm pretty anti pharmacy company, (laughs) pharmaceutical company. Um, they basically just structure their payment plan to suck as much money out of any 
insurance system that they can. And then, but then at the same time, if they block people from using it who really need it, then people like, I mean, I think the, the Stanford sleep clinic is pretty active in advocating mm. for fair pricing for narcolepsy medications yeah. and working with, I don't know if they do lobbying or they work with the pharmaceutical companies, but. um. So I want to replay that to make sure I understood it. So in the case of Apple, Apple were paying $3,000 a month. Mm -hmm. However, if your insurance wouldn't have covered it, you would get a coupon from the pharm pharmaceutical company. Yeah, like quote, like the coupon. The coupon, quote marks. <laughs> that would save you $2,980 on the prescription. Mm -hmm. Thereby implying that the prescription only actually costs 20-ish dollars to make. Yeah, or 10. Or 10. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's some kind of markup on it, unless there's some kind of massive benevolence going on there, which I doubt. Yeah. So what we've just learned is that for no logical reason, other than the pursuit of profit, your medication is being marked up by uh, 15,000%, 150,000. I can't do the math in my head, but I mean, that, and that they is, didn't even invent it. They, uh, I, I mean, that is literally <laughs> morally bankrupt. Yeah, and I, they. And I'm, I'm going to say sorry. I don't know it's an ironic pun, but like, I don't know how you can sleep at night. Just <laughs> <It's> three thousand dollars <laughs> for a narcolepsy medication. Just... Um, and the, and the wildest thing is, it's been around for so long. Um, but the pharmaceutical company was lobbying to keep it as a highly controlled substance so that nobody could do a generic. Because the second you could do a generic, then they'd offer it for $15 a month. How do you get diagnosed with narcolepsy? It has symptoms that look like sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome. Fortunately, there's a pretty definitive test that can be run in a sleep clinic. So I guess the question is, when do you decide to go do the test? I suppose like Shannon, if you're falling asleep during the day while trying to do something like giving directions despite having got normal sleep, that's probably a good time. Shannon had two surprises talking about managing narcolepsy. The first was that the best medicine for narcolepsy is simply taking a nap. I'd expected some sort of cutting-edge designer medication. The second surprise was the cost of Xyrem. I did a little research to make sure that what Shannon had said was accurate. It's a fascinating story. Xyrem is owned by Jazz Pharmaceuticals. Between 2007 and 2013, Jazz increased the price of Xyrem by 841%. By 2015, a 15-day supply of Xyrem cost nearly $5,500. In 2017, seven companies filed with the FDA to make a generic version of Xyrem, which would of course reduce the costs. So what did Jazz Pharmaceuticals do? They sued for patent infringement. But this story does have something of a happy ending. In July 2018, a court of appeal invalidated some of Jazz's Xyrem patents, thereby paving the way to generics in the future. Shannon had alluded to some of her experiences at work, and I figured it's probably time that we dive into them. Let's talk a little more about your experience of managing narcolepsy at work. So you're in a very fortunate environment where, one, you work with your husband, you work with a very good friend, and you're the founder of a company. So you can kind of shape the 
environment to be supportive for you. Let's maybe go back before you had your own company. Talk about your experiences of managing narcolepsy in, let's call it, a more traditional work environment. So I was um, formally diagnosed just a little bit before I started at Apple. I had an amazing doctor in California who had just pushed really hard, you know, I can give you medications to help with this. They all have side effects. Some of them are unpleasant, but the free medication that has zero side effects is scheduling naps and making sure that you stick to it. So I I was taking that pretty seriously and I knew it would help me a lot. I remember talking to somebody in HR really early on there and I just said, you know, I have narcolepsy and I need a place where I can nap because I knew at Stanford they had informed me that the Americans with Disabilities Act basically guaranteed me that or, or guaranteed you an accommodation. Exactly. That um, they said that any company, you know, above like 10 people or something had to provide me with an, an accommodation, just like um, how you need to give a nursing mother a space to like privately pump during the day or something like that. So I went and talked to. HR at Apple and, um, and they, just, they paused and uh, said, I think you might be the first person working here that we were aware of that has narcolepsy. Yeah. Um, we've never dealt with this before. Let me go work on it. And um, their solution was giving me access to the like nursing mother's room, which is just a tiny tiny room with like a mini fridge and a seat um which was actually super miserable place to try and take naps but um but it was something you know i could just go and walk and um at least just like close my eyes for a little bit even if i couldn't fall asleep which sometimes helps so i guess ideally they'd give you a place to sleep i'm guessing there are times where a sleep attack is coming on and you felt like Take a nap right now is just not an option. Right? I would say most of the time. Yeah. They're never convenient. And so what do you do? Sleep attacks coming coming on and you don't feel like I can take a nap right now. I mean, we've been in some like really important founders meetings about, you know, we gotta we've gotta figure out, you know, the direction for some piece of the product or we have to get through something. You know, one of those meetings where it's like we juggled schedules for a couple days to make sure that everybody could be in the same place to really focus on something for a little bit. And I know I can't just say like, hey, can we just break for a half an hour so I can go to sleep in the next room and then come back because it's going to be a giant waste of everybody's time. Sometimes I'll, I'll just say, oh, I got to grab a cup of coffee, which is um, coffee. The coffee will help in a half an hour a little bit, but just getting up and moving kind of like helps to break it up just a tiny bit. I mean, sometimes I've just stood during a meeting uh, when I've been driving, I've like started punching myself in the leg. I've done, I've done like, pretty much anything you can think of. I mean, between just like moving my legs around, just trying to be busy, just like anything to try and like jostle myself out of it. None of those things work particularly well, but it, I'll be in better shape than if I just sat there. God forbid the conference room's like a tiny bit warm or like anything that would just like kind of like right. would help like lull you. Yeah, yeah. Um, little bit of background noise. Maybe yeah. like, you know, that White noise with baby, you know, well, yeah. Um, I've, I've actually been in a meeting there and with my co-founders, um, Jesse and Jesse and uh, that exact scenario. And I mean, I think that when I've been like fighting it for like 
what feels like a half an hour. Sometimes people can't tell for a while, but then at some point it's like, like literally probably one of my eyes is like eyelids is like dangling, maybe both of them. Or I like shut my eyes for like two seconds and I'm actually probably kind of asleep for those two seconds, but then like open them back up and I'm like, no, no, I'm here. I'm here. And I've had Jesse, my husband, Jesse turn to me and just be like, yeah, well, apparently Shannon's asleep during this. And I handed it to him after the meeting as I was just like, you know, that if I got to that point that literally every ounce of energy in my being has been trying to keep me awake and there was nothing more that I could do. And you know that I have a disease which causes this. So maybe saying, hey, Shannon, do you want to grab some coffee if it looks like I'm falling asleep? Or I mean, that's actually maybe a tip for anybody who's around somebody with narcolepsy, just kind of being able to say like, hey, do you want to do you want to just step outside and get some fresh air for a second? Or I'm wondering if, and maybe this is what you meant, but hey, like, I need to step out for a second. Like, hey, Shannon, do you, do you want to come out and get some fresh air with me or something like that? So it's also not like isolating, like, hey, you need to step outside. It's like, hey, I need to step outside. Why don't you come with me? That if, if I was in a meeting with people besides like a very good friend and my husband, mm. you're 100% right. I, I guess I wouldn't think about them judging me, which is actually really awesome. I just, they're really supportive. But if there's anybody else there, that approach would be, be spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than telling someone to leave the meeting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How have you talked about narcolepsy with the rest of your team if you if you have? So when we started the company um, and eventually got an office, I was in a place where I was like, hey, you know, we're going to have an office and I'm going to be there. I need to be able to take a nap. Being a co-founder of a company is a really amazing opportunity to feel zero shame about whatever needs you have to make you the best you. Um, And I got really lucky. The two of them were so supportive. I remember we went looking for a couch and the two of them were like, yeah, we're getting a couch that Shannon can nap on. And we're like, really super supportive and awesome about it. And so we just got a couch and it was put someplace where everyone knew Shannon was just going to nap when she needed to. Um, But then, then we grew and grew and added people. And I remember at one point feeling pretty weird napping in front of people, especially, you know, when you're managing people going and like curling up on the sofa and taking a nap where everybody can see you is like, especially when everybody's working really hard because you're a startup and bootstrapped and, I remember feeling pretty weird about that. I think gradually I've talked one-on-one, you know, when the time was right to everybody who works with us. Usually I tell people, I say like, "Um, yeah, I just just wanted to talk to you about something. You know, I actually have narcolepsy. And most people think that when I say that, it's like, like people would say like, oh yeah, I totally have narcolepsy. Like people, people use that. Like they use the term of like, meaning like I'm just sleepy. Which is kind of fascinating, but I don't really understand it. It's the same with OCD or ADD. People will throw around like, oh, I'm really OCD about something. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think for me, the line is where you, where it becomes a problem and interferes with the function of your life. There's a difference between being tired sometimes and not being able to stay awake in between giving directions to your husband in the car. And it's, it's really silly because I think in any normal workplace, you know, people, people take a walk for 15 minutes in the afternoon. People go and get a cup of coffee and it takes 20 minutes because they go right. around the block and talk with a coworker. Yeah, exactly. They're yakking with somebody. Yeah. Um, and time wise, I mean, my, the naps that I take are under 25 minutes always, or else it doesn't help me much. Um, you know, it's like, there's like a timer set, like it's a very self-contained event. (laughs) 
there's no logical reason that you'd think that it would have an impact, a negative impact on productivity. But I guess people just see you sleeping and they just assume you like snuck out to sleep for four hours in your car or something. And the strange thing about that is I'd be willing to bet that Shannon, who takes two 25-minute naps during the day, gets a lot more done than Shannon, who doesn't take two 25-minute naps in the day. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. When you know that your bucket of energy is smaller than everybody else around you, you get brutal about what's going to take up your energy. So I feel like at times, you know, I don't have the extra energy to go on some wild goose chase for like this or that or pursue something that's really not in my top priorities for the day. So I think I can be more productive because I just know I don't have any wiggle room. Like I know I really need to work on what I'm there to work on when I have the energy and just go for it. So I'm forming this thought that we haven't yet fully internalized as businesses that everybody has a an optimum way of working. Everybody has a set of needs that help them be the most productive. And we need to encourage each individual to explore and understand what those needs are and then support them in doing those things. And I just think that's a massive leap for most companies because it's much easier to hope that everyone can fit inside the box that's convenient for you. And I think it's there's like a norm of judging people when they can't fit inside the box. So then everybody pretends like they do. <laughs> right. You force yourself to stay awake to, to operate within the box of what's considered normal. And yet, you know that you're less productive. You get less done if you do that, which is crazy. I mean, I think when I first had narcolepsy, sitting at my desk in the middle of a sleep attack, just moving my mouse, it was kind of like I was in like survival mode. This is before I knew I had it, before I knew I should take a nap. And finally snapping out of it, and like 45 minutes later, because I'm looking at code for whatever. and right. um, You're just like scrolling up and down it, right? Yeah. And <laughs> and there were actually some changes, but it was just like a random character inserted where it shouldn't have been. <laughs> and, oh, and I was like, just basically had to like go and like revert the file. And it's just always really strange to see what my brain had done when it was half asleep. Back to your point, you waste 45 minutes or an hour of productivity and that's your mask. Like I'm scrolling up and down code. I'm hitting buttons occasionally because that's what people expect you to be doing when that's actually generating no value whatsoever. And it would have been, you'd have got 20 minutes work done if you're going to get a 25 minute nap, right? Exactly. At least. If there was a somebody in HR listening or a, or a business owner, what would you want them to know about narcolepsy and what would you ask them to do on behalf of a narcoleptic employee? It's the first thing I would want them to know is that people with narcolepsy can still be A-plus employees. Can be a female founder, uh, a rarity in technology. Just because you feel like junk a lot of the time doesn't mean you can't do a great job. So I think that's number one. And then I, I guess just in general, the stigma around alertness disabilities, which I guess I would consider narcolepsy to be kind of like an alertness issue, um, just pains me because you can still be brilliant. And, you know, I've had experiences in a meeting where I just wasn't able to follow and maybe said something that was like repeating something, which is really hard to explain because it just sounds like you've been checked out. But um, just to give people more leeway when it comes to issues of alertness. How can we shift 
the culture of companies to be more tolerant of people resting, taking a break, having a nap? I mean, I, I honestly think that everybody can benefit from a really quick nap in the afternoon. I know that some cultures have started to, I think in Japan, it's becoming more normal to take a nap. But how do we get there? How do we get from where we are to, to that, that place? Everybody benefits. I'd like to think that by being a napper, <laughs> I, I help to destigmatize it. You know, it's the people who work for me see, people who work for us see, see me take a nap. And I know there have actually been some times, like very, very, very rarely, but where other team members have taken a quick nap. Very rare. But I think that if I didn't do it, that other people on the team would have never done it. If there is somebody out there who has been listening to this and some of the things that you said feel familiar about symptoms, feeling very tired in the afternoons, you know, having these sleep attacks where, you know, it's almost impossible to stay awake, what would you want to say to them? I would say talk to your doctor about it. They'll probably send you for a sleep test and which is, you know, you go and they hook up little nodes to your brain and you go and fall asleep in this creepy room. But uh, you're already selling this shit. Good job. <laughs> no, they make it like a to the doctor's office, but they try to make the bedroom feel like a hotel, but it has this really creepy institutional feel to it. It's not bad. It's just different. It's an experience. Going through the process of getting diagnosed is totally worth it because I think the things that I was doing to try and manage my my sleep issues before I was diagnosed were actually making it more difficult for me. Uh, my doctors had thought I had ADD for the 20 year plus years before I was diagnosed. And so I was on ADD medication, which is actually really bad for people with narcolepsy because you kind of have this like, you know, where you're like amped up during the day, but then on the weekends you have like a, like your body does this like reverse thing where it's like way, way, way overtired. It was significantly harder for me trying to manage it, not really being undiagnosed, not knowing what I was dealing with, not having a doctor involved. And I just got my freedom back. I mean, really, I was, before I was diagnosed, I was scared to drive places. I was scared to make appointments or commitments because I didn't know if I'd have the energy to actually show up. I was nervous at work. My career was just like frozen, I felt like, because I didn't have the energy to give it any oomph. You know, I just, coasting, um, just in like survival mode. Anyway, the world is your oyster if you can find the right way to manage it, I think. What else needs to be said? What haven't you said? What trains of thought have we not explored? We've talked about a bunch. Uh, yeah, I guess on, on just on the lines of what you were asking before about, you know, if you're feeling like you have those symptoms, what would I recommend? Um, I know I was very scared of being diagnosed and none of like the, none of the fears that I had about being diagnosed with narcolepsy panned out. Nobody takes your license away. Nobody, at least right now, nobody tells you you can't have health insurance. Um, None of the, I, I had a bunch of ideas about why it would be scary to actually be diagnosed and, um, none of those things came to pass. So if that was holding somebody back, from my experience, it hasn't been an issue. Uh, Shannon, I would like to say thank you. Really appreciate you making the time. Thank you for having me. No worries. There's a conceit that many workplaces fall into. They favor visible presence and activity over the quality or impact of the work. 
It was perfectly acceptable for Shannon to stand at her desk, moving her mouse and touching keys for 45 minutes, even though her output was a few misplaced characters in code. At some point, we need to start recognizing that time spent working and willingness to forego personal needs like a lunch, a evening, weekends and time with family are not the path to high quality, impactful work. I'll link to a Harvard Business Review article in the show notes that covers some of the research into optimum work performance, but I'll just share the closing line. The story of overwork is literally a story of diminishing returns. Keep overworking and you'll progressively work more stupidly on tasks that are increasingly meaningless. In other words, your ability to pick what to do and your ability to work on that thing both drop pretty significantly if you're overworked. Supporting an employee with narcolepsy is pretty easy. Give them permission to block a couple of 30-minute periods in their calendar every day, create a comfortable private space to sleep, and you're done. The problem? We're the problem. We've all bought into that idea that the amount of time spent is a good measure of success and employee value. If we're going to support our narcoleptic colleagues, those with anxiety, depression, or any of the other conditions we talk about on this show, we need to stop measuring our colleagues by the time they spend and start looking at the value of their contributions. Because you can either have the Shannon who wrote some code with random characters in it, or you can have the Shannon that co-founded a business that's been running for the last 10 years. If you like what you've heard in this episode of Silent Superheroes, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear about new episodes as they're released, you can sign up for the newsletter at silentsuperheroes.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash silentsuperheroes. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.